Well, can I invite you to take um, the Bible again from the pew in front and turn back to page 982. Just as you're doing that, I'll tell you, yesterday I had the, the real privilege and joy of being away with, with a few other uh, guys at a, a, a London men's convention um, where we were really just being taught the Bible all day. And I was struck, I suppose, last night, I was, I was, I was thinking through some of the things that we had heard and, and as I was preparing myself, I suppose, to, to kind of follow that and come and, and try and teach the Bible uh, to you guys this morning. What, a, what an immense privilege it is to have God's Word. I think sometimes we're just struck afresh by that, and I certainly was yesterday. And, and let's remember that this is what we're doing. It's not, it's not me that you're listening to. This is God. This is God's Word that we have before us this morning and, and how rich and beautiful it is. So in that, in that spirit, let's pray together before we look at it. Father, we praise you for all your goodness, and we praise you for all that you have given us and blessed us with. We praise you for Jesus Christ and for what he has done and and for what he means and can mean to us. But Lord, we thank you and praise you right now for your word, your word that is rich and your word that is beautiful and your word that contains life-giving power. I thank you that this book, as we open it this morning, is not a book that sits on the shelf as a, as a history book and, and that we blow the dust off and just read it because it's interesting or because we, uh, we just take a notion, but that this is your living word. This is your word that speaks from you directly to us by your spirit. It would help us to approach it in that manner this morning, help us to be attentive Help us all to be ready to listen and to make changes where they're required. Bless us now, Lord, as we seek to understand your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Exclusion is a complicated issue. At one level, we think that there should be a level playing field for every person. Whatever their color, gender, sexuality, ability, age, or creed. But of course, in practice, we think it is right to exclude some people from drinking or driving, for instance, on the grounds of age. We think that it would be right to exclude men from, say, a woman's pilots or Pilates session. I dare say most of us would think that if a group of Chinese people wanted to have a meeting for just Chinese people, that would be their prerogative. And of course, we exclude certain people from being footballers or doctors or all kinds of things on the grounds of ability. Recently, we as a family experienced something of this with the girls because they got chicken pox and we were excluded from certain things, not least the doctor's surgery. Sometimes exclusion seems sensible or it seems valid, it seems right, and sometimes it just seems unjustified and bigoted. In the Old Testament, people like us, people like you and me, we were excluded from fully worshiping God because we aren't Jews. We're pagans. We're Gentiles. We are unclean, as the passage just before this in Matthew explained. If Jews mixed with us, it could have made them unclean too, and and they had a point, because the Jewish race would not have survived without strong exclusion policies. But Jesus told the religious leaders of his day that they were too sure of themselves. He said, your way of excluding people is full of hypocrisy. 
What makes people spiritually unclean is not what they touch or who they meet or whether they've washed their hands after touching a Gentile, but what's in our hearts. It's in our hearts that we hate other people, that we lust after other people, that we want what other people have, that we make up lies and we live selfishly. It's in our hearts that we're contaminated. We're unclean in here. So they were right about something. The Jews were right when they said that Gentiles, people like us, were not fit to worship God. But then neither were they. Jesus has told us what makes us unclean. He says it's our hearts. So how can we be clean? How can we as Gentiles worship God? How can we come before him? How can we have confidence that we're in the right place, that we belong, that God wants us? Well, we get a picture of that in the part of Matthew's gospel that Alison just read. And what I want to do this morning is to explain how I understand the section of the Bible and then consider some questions from it that might be relevant to some of us at this moment or maybe in the future. Just look at that passage. We're going to split it into three sections. Verses 21 to 28, verses 29 through to 31, and then 32 to 39. So the first uh, section here, verses 21 to 28, is important because it tells us the location. Okay? It tells us where Jesus was here. He was in the district of Tyre and Sidon. See that in verse 21. And this is not good Jewish territory. Okay? Tyre and Sidon it would, not be Gentile, would be Gentile-dominated lands. There would be no Jews floating about here. These are places that good Jews could well have been contaminated. And yet Jesus goes there. It's almost as if he's so fed up with the picky Pharisees and the scribes who had come to him from Jerusalem. And he says, I'll show you what's clean and what's not clean. He says, going here doesn't make you unclean. Mixing with these Gentiles doesn't make you unclean. And the woman who comes up to him is called a Canaanite woman. Now that word Canaanite is an old word. Canaan was the name for the land before the Hebrews took it over. And what he's really doing is rubbing our noses in the fact that this woman was a real outsider. She would almost be disgusting to a Pharisee. She was not part of the people of Israel. She had no part in the kingdom of David. But look what she's doing. She's calling out as if she is a Jew. And I think that's why Jesus first ignores her. Because she's shouting words that she's picked up from God's people. She says, look at verse 22, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. That makes no sense because that's got nothing to do with her. The Messiah, the son of David, doesn't belong to the Canaanites. He's of the Jews. But with all her shouting and her crying, the disciples are just getting really annoyed and they want Jesus to heal this lady's daughter just so that they can have some peace. They say, just send her away, fix, fix her, do, do, do what she wants you to do and get rid of her. Jesus tells his disciples that this woman is an imposter. Look at verse 24. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is Jesus, Remember. Jesus saying, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Really? Jesus said that? And he says, this one claiming to be an Israelite is no Israelite. Then Jesus draws her out because he wants to see if she will admit that she has no right to his healing. 
Will she admit to being a Gentile? Will she admit to being someone who's not a Jew, who has no right to the Messiah? On what grounds does she come to him? Folks, what Jesus is doing here and saying here is really quite shocking. And what he goes on to say is even more so. He says, the Jews are the children. You Canaanites are the dogs. But listen to what this lady says. Her reply is, is, is really quite astute. She says, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. This was a test. Would the woman admit to being a Gentile dog? Would she take it on the chin? Would she hold her hands up and say, yes, I am not worthy? Well, yes, she would. And this isn't the first time that Jesus has helped a Gentile. If you remember the healing of the centurion's servant back in in chapter 8. And some people say that Jesus was only learning at this point that he was to have a role for Gentiles too. But I believe Jesus knew all along that believing Gentiles were to be gathered in. And he was testing this woman's readiness to accept him. And he answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. Because that's the first thing I want you to to take from this. Kind of building up to, to one point here from this passage. But three things help us see it. Jesus, the son of David, shows grace to a Gentile. In the second paragraph then, we haven't moved out of the Gentile territory. We're still in the same place. Jesus is still along the side of the Sea of Galilee. And look at the end of verse 31. When Jesus has done all these marvelous things, when he's made the maim whole again, when he's fixed muscles that were withered, When tongues that could not form words are now speaking with perfect clarity and the blind people are seeing things for the first time, what did they do? They praised the God of Israel. These Gentiles are admitting that Israel's God is God. Jesus, who has done these marvelous things, is doing them through the God of the Jews. Wonder of wonders for Gentiles to be so blessed with these signs of the Messiah. The God of Israel heals Gentiles. Jesus, the son of David, shows grace to a Gentile. The God of Israel heals Gentiles. And the last thing from these verses, God the Son has compassion and fills both Jew and Gentile alike. See, in the third paragraph, we're still in the same place The last time Jesus miraculously fed people, there were different numbers of loaves, different leftovers, different types of basket, different people involved. Then it was in Judah. Now it's in Gentile country. Here it is Jesus, full of compassion, who suggests the miracle for the predominantly Gentile crowd after they've been with him three days. If the last time 12 baskets were left over, reminding them of the 12 tribes tribes of Israel... This time, there were seven great baskets left over, reminding us of the complete perfection of the first week in the world's history. Seven, in Hebrew thought, was the complete number, the perfect number. So God the Son has compassion and fills Jews and Gentiles alike. Folks, these verses, 21 to 39, at a first read, certainly at my first read, seem pretty complicated. 
What is Jesus doing calling this woman a dog? When we start to look at it and pick it apart, it doesn't take long to see that really it's quite straightforward and quite simple. It seems to me that each of the sections we're looking at this morning is about Gentiles being included in God's blessing. And the way that's going to happen is through Jesus Christ. The way for the world, the whole world, to receive the blessings of God is through Jesus. Now, let me meddle in your lives for the remainder of our time. Here's a few questions that may be relevant to us in relation to these words from the Bible. Firstly, does God want to humble me? Does God want to humble me? It seems to me that Jesus could have healed this woman straight away. Could have done it instantly. But he made her see what a humble position she was in. Because Jesus went on to heal hundreds of Gentiles without doing that. Great crowds came and he healed them. He didn't make them acknowledge where they were before him, though he could have. But he did for her. As I said before, I think it's to do with her claiming to be something she wasn't. Are we, or is someone we know doing something similar? Claiming wrongly to be God's people and needing to be humbled. Think of someone like Jonathan Aitken. He was a church warden. Did all sorts of things before he got sent to jail for perjury. He was heavily involved in church. But in jail, he actually became a Christian. Okay, he had seemed to be a believer before then. People thought he was a Christian. But he later realized he wasn't. Because nothing had come into his heart. Folks, it is perfectly possible for someone to think that they are okay with God. To think that God ought to listen to them. Even that God ought to be pleased to see them. And yet not to be humble before him. We don't realize that we come to God without a claim. We aren't good people. We aren't as good as the next person, as the saying goes. In fact, our hearts are as bad, if not worse, than the next person. Folks, it is one of the healthiest, healthiest things for us to realize that we are sinful, that we are sinners. Maybe it would do us good to realize that we are as dogs, that we are outsiders before God, that we are not the favored and special people that maybe we imagine. Maybe it would do us good to remember that apart from Jesus Christ, we have no claim in the things of God. We can so easily take things for granted. And yet apart from Christ, we have nothing. Secondly, this morning, connected to our need for humility before God. Maybe that our need, maybe our need for patience. We may ask ourselves on reading this part of the Bible, is God testing me? Or as a church, we may say, is God testing us? There was this woman who was waiting. She was calling out and she was getting nowhere. Her daughter's situation was desperate. It may well be that our situation is becoming desperate. 
The so-called end of our tether is drawing ever closer. And maybe even nobody knows about it. And we keep asking God and hoping and calling out, but the situation is not getting any better. You may be here this morning and you struggle with a particular desire or addiction or illness or painful memory and you long, you long for relief. You may be here this morning and you are ready to die and to be with the Lord Jesus. Maybe you're ready for that relationship or ready for that job or ready for that new opportunity or challenge. You're ready and nothing is happening. And you keep calling out to God and you're wondering whether you are losing faith in him. We may well empathize with this Canaanite woman and wonder why Jesus had to test her like that. Why couldn't he just heal her daughter and get rid of the demons? Why the wait? Could Jesus be testing our faith? A suffering Canaanite woman is one of the few people recorded that met Jesus and whose faith was praised as great. Bible tells us this woman had great faith. Is there a woman or a man of great faith here this morning? Is there a woman or a man whose faith can hold on longer? Or what about the church? Folks, we are a church that is trying to be faithful to teaching the Bible and living out the Christian message, and we can see evidence of that. But maybe you think we should be seeing more. You look around at the vast numbers of people near us in this community and around these streets, and you think, Lord, why wait? Why aren't more people being joined into your family here? Maybe you're discouraged in an area of ministry you're pouring yourself into. Or at work, you may know what you think is best about something and what should happen, and you may know what you want to do, but it's not working out. And you're asking God, and you're calling out, and you're asking again, and shouting, and calling, and crying, and still you're waiting. In all these situations, there's more than one way to wait. We can get worked up and anxious and stressed. We can have disturbed sleep and bad tempers. We can shout and we can cry. Or we can wait with patience. We don't always know the big picture. In fact, we don't ever know the big picture. But God does. And we need to have faith in Him. Is God calling us to be humble this morning? Maybe he's calling us to be patient this morning. Finally, this morning, it may be this question is appropriate for some of us. Is God correcting our narrow concerns? Folks, this might sound a bit radical, but I put it to you that we could be Christians who are almost a new sort of Jew. We could be Gentiles who have actually started to become a new sort of Jew. Because we have our group here, which we're part of. And we have others that were born into it out in creche and Sunday school. And 
but we maybe have no desire, no real desire to add to its number. We're going to concentrate on our own spiritual development. We're going to concentrate on our own and our friends' relationship with God and on the groups here or the finances or the worship of this church and not give much thought to the people who are lost. Folks, I need to hear this because as a future pastor, it is easy to get into the mentality of being a chaplain, caring for those only in my care rather than having the mentality of a missionary and seeking the lost. Folks, it can be easy. We all know this. It can be easy to go along to something and make new friends and yet never invite them to church. It can be easy to be satisfied with the people we already know, the friends that we have, and can be easy to make no efforts to deepen or begin new relationships, which will in turn point those people to Christ. Folks, if God had had only narrow concerns for the Jewish people, we would not be here today. If the believers who have gone before us had only had narrow concerns, we would not be here today. When God came as one of us, when God came as Jesus Christ, he showed us in these glimpses his love for the lost. We can ask ourselves what difference living in a world full of lost people makes to us. What difference is it going to make to you and me this week? Here's something that I'm going to suggest you can do this week. Take the time when you get home or later during the week to think of the person or the kind of person that you would least like to see becoming part of our church community here. It sounds awful, but just be honest about it. Think of the kind of person you would least like to see walk through those doors. And then take the time this week to work it out. How are you going to invite them in? As we finish, Jew or Gentile, God wants us to be fully, fully satisfied in him. Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The Old Testament prophets point to a Messiah who will feed all people. And there's a heavenly banquet, banquet that we are to look forward to. But we're also to be filled right now. Our spiritual hunger and thirst are to be quenched in Jesus Christ. God wants us all to be fully satisfied in him and not in anything else. Folks, if we are seeking fulfillment in anything else, and you know if you are, then ultimately disappointment's going to come. If there's something weakening our relationship with Christ right now, if we are not being fully satisfied in him, then let's sort it out. Talk to a friend, a brother or sister in Jesus Christ. Talk to me. Talk to whoever. Maybe you want to pray about it after the service. Grab someone and ask them to do that with you. Please, please just don't leave it. God wants us to be fully satisfied in Jesus Christ and nothing else. God in Jesus became human. 
He lived as we should have. He died for our sins. He rose again to conquer death. And now he rules and will judge this world. Folks, one day every knee will bow before him. Every knee will bow before him. Whether willfully or not. Because you see, there will only ever be one exclusion that matters ultimately. And that is to exclude Jesus Christ from our lives. Whoever we are this morning, whoever we are, may we submit to him. In Jesus' name, amen.